Vivo qualitative data analysis software empowers researchers around the world to discover rich insights within their qualitative data. This podcast gives you unique insights into the methods, the processes, and the passions of researchers. Welcome to the InVivo podcast, Between the Data. Welcome to the InVivo podcast, Between the Data. I'm Stacey Penna, the InVivo Community Director, and today's podcast is with Dr. Nicole Corley, Assistant Professor at Virginia Commonwealth University School of Social Work and the 2020 QSR IIQM Early Career Researcher Grant winner. Nicole was awarded $25,000 over a two-year period for her research. So welcome, Nicole, and thanks for joining me today, and congratulations on being awarded the grant. Thank you, Stacy. I'm so happy to be here to chat with you. And of course, so very excited that I was the recipient of this grant. Yeah, I know. We're very excited, too. It's been fun watching <laughs> your progress and some of the challenges you've had, which we'll be talking about. So first off, why did you decide to apply for the grant? Well, and, you know, I've been actually trying to think about when I became aware of the grant. I don't quite remember, but I do remember having sort of like this feeling like, Nicole, go for it. You know, I am junior faculty, was third year at the time, and it just seemed like the perfect timing for where I was in my career, of course, to start pursuing uh, grant funding, the support projects. And of course, because of the nature of the grant, still being new in this space in so many different ways. There is chatter that there aren't really lots of opportunities to fund qualitative projects. And so when I saw this, I was like, I got to go for this. (laughs) You know, I got to go for this. This seems like a perfect fit for who I am as a researcher. And I just said I had to do it. That's great. And this was the first time QSR had done something like this with a partner. And so I think we were really happy to see the amount of participation in the grant application process. So you had a lot of competition. So good job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. It is. We're hoping to do it again, too, in the near future or, you know, in this next year or so. Can you describe what the application process was like for you? Again, this was my first time pursuing a grant, writing a grant. But honestly, I don't have many other reference points, but of course, what other folks have shared with me. But for me, it felt okay. It wasn't something that I was unfamiliar with doing. And also just the process, as I'm sure many researchers feel, the process of writing out the grant helped me really solidify what I wanted to do in my career which was also really nice and sort of unexpected. So the actual grant process wasn't very daunting or as daunting as I've always heard grant processes are. Of course, filling out the narrative, again, was a way for me to go deeper into a subject, a topic area that I was deeply interested in. And it just really helped me think through it, obviously, to make it very coherent on the grant. But it had more meaning to it than just filling on a grant application. But the process itself wasn't at all very daunting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So it was a way for you to reflect then doing the for uh, sure. application. For sure. And of course, you know, you get other folks' insights and perspectives as how to tighten it up, where to clean some things up, make it make more sense, of course. But yeah, it was absolutely an opportunity to reflect on who I was as a researcher and where it is that I want to go Interesting. And why did you decide on your research topic? And you might want to tell the audience your research topic too. 
Yeah. So my research topic, as I always share, is dear and near because it's me. So I essentially explore lived experiences that are similar to mine. And so that wasn't really that difficult to do. (laughs) You know, it really wasn't that difficult for me to really think through what the topic was going to be. So I did have other thoughts, but this one just really seemed to emerge and seemed to make sense. And in particular, doing so my research area is primarily focused on the experiences of Black mothers. And as a qualitative researcher, which is my home, I started to play around with other modalities of qualitative research and arts-based research. And I remember one of my first projects into this arts-based sort of world was using poetic transcription techniques to create found poems for participants' expression of what it was that I was asking them. and. I was sort of in this art space world, still making sense of it, still learning all the varying ways that one can do art space work and had gone to an exhibit at a museum here in Richmond. They were exhibiting Howardina Pendel's artwork and her artwork was a lot of collage and she was really bringing herself into her work, which I'm sure many artists do. And that just really stuck with me. And so when it came time to think about all the different ways I can approach this work, collage is something that just sort of remained in me. And the pieces just sort of fell together, exploring Black women's experiences, centering Black women's experiencing, using collage as a storytelling technique. And so again, that just stuck, collage being often described as a very simple sort of way to enter into art, you know, into creativity. And so it just made so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed when you did the presentation at the virtual conference, seeing some of the collages that you yeah. that was really interesting. Yeah. How did your research design change due to COVID-19? Because when you were first awarded the grant, I believe it was in March of last year, mm-hmm. so March 2020. Mm-hmm. Can you describe your design before and after COVID-19? So how did you have to maybe change some things? Yeah, sure. And how interesting that a project, the creative aspects of this project, you know, would also then force me to be creative about how I needed to sort of redesign the project because of COVID. And so initially the project was designed to use focus groups to bring moms in into a space to work on collage together, you know, the idea was like most focus groups are when you bring people together that, you know, moms would build and connect with each other's stories, you know, new ideas might emerge and, you know, how that might show up on the collage piece again and focus groups. Of course, now with COVID and wanting to ensure the safety of participants, we had to get creative about how, we would try to engage mothers still in this sort of community space, but also understanding that we might not be able to have them in the same space in person together. So there was a lot of thinking and there's still some thinking, honestly, with the process. So one of the things our initial thought was, of course, like so many people, was to go straight to virtual. But then, of course, when you think about how accessible really is going into this virtual space, you know, not everyone has computers set up in this way, can figure out this whole technology because folks who use it every day are still trying to figure it out. (laughs) And so we also had to be thoughtful about 
how that might impact the variability of our participants and also might limit folks who still wanted to join but couldn't do this virtual space. In addition to virtual, there's still also an in-person option. Now, the focus groups were going to be no more than three moms anyway. So thankfully, we had some community partners with big enough rooms to really accommodate the in-person folks that prefer to do the in-person because there are folks that prefer to do the in-person because people are longing for that social interaction. So the redesign as it is now is that we do have an option for the in-person and we do have the virtual option. Now, of course, thinking again virtually, keeping folks on the Zoom for two to three hours is, it could be torture. <laughs> you know, it could be yeah, torture. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so initially the thought was to have mothers do the collage while I'm there helping to prompt and possibly guide the process. But now one, folks might need more time with the collage. And again, the Zoom, we can't have folks on Zoom that long. So now what I'm doing is me and my research assistant, Brittany Pitts, we're putting together small art kits that have some of the basics, the glue, the paper, scissors, paint, markers, all these types of things and delivering it to folks who are interested in the project. So that way that gives them time so they can work on it as long as they need for about a week. And then what I'll do is I'll come back and sort of do an interview with them and talk with them about what showed up on the collage. What does this represent? What does it mean? And that can be done either individually or in groups as well. This kind of depends on people's schedule. You know, you have to be as flexible as can be with folks' schedules. So that's pretty much where we are in the design. Again, having both a virtual and in-person option, allowing moms more time to work on the collage. And certainly, even if moms who are doing the in-person option feels that they need more time, they can have more time as well. So I had a follow-up question with that. If you're doing both virtual and in-person session with participants, are you seeing any initial differences between the two types of sessions? Are you getting the same value? So interestingly, the one thing that I have noticed is that moms who participate in the in-person actually bring their own material, which is really interesting to me, you know, because I do encourage, you know, although I come with like a stockpile of just really basic stuff, I really encourage folks to look in their home, look in their community for things that they might want to use because nothing, you know, no holding back here. So I thought it was interesting that mothers who did the in-person session Mm -hmm. actually brought some of their own things from home. And, you know, the folks that opted for the virtual, even though they're in their home, engaging with me, talking with me, they really relied on what was in the art kit. Oh, that's interesting. It is. Yeah, it is. Hmm. And so, you know, even one of my participants even said who did the virtual option said that, I wanted to force myself to use what was in the bag. And I thought that was really interesting too. Certainly something to think more deeply about and unpack. Right. Yeah. So you're probably giving them some instructions and then they're reading those instructions in different ways, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. 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 So when I was reading, because with part of the grant process is that you give us updates every once in a while, like six mm-hmm. months or something, just to see where you are. And in your last update, I read that you work with the Research Interest Network at Virginia Commonwealth mm-hmm. University, and they're assisting mm-hmm. you with your research. So I thought that was interesting that there's a network like that. And how are you working with them? 
So that was with my good colleague, Dr. Capriya Johnson, started this research interest network and started it really around just the perfect time because COVID just has erupted and has twisted all types of things around. And so one of those is even the process that I would typically get assigned a research assistant, you know, funding and budgets programs are being very careful about. And so the traditional way that I would market the project and request research assistance just was no longer there. And so Dr. Johnson started this research interest network, which really has a wide range. And I just uploaded the project, what my needs were. And I started getting back a lot of interest. I was actually really surprised at the amount of interest I was getting for people that were really interested in joining the project and supporting the project. So from me sharing the project on that network, I was able to recruit two research assistants to support me. That's great. Yeah. And there, yeah. I mean, it's right on the Virginia Commonwealth University website. You can find right. so if people are interested, right. they can go see because I thought it was really good. Yeah, That's it's nice awesome. And it's, yeah. and it's also nice to have folks who are from different disciplines expressing interest because I just think that it adds to the richness and the depth mm-hmm. and to the project and to the ideas that people can bring to the project. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a short break from the podcast to share Dr. Corley's research project website titled And Ain't I a Mother? An Exploration of Black Motherhood Through Collage Making at Ain't I a Mother? A-I-N-T-I-A Mother dot WordPress dot com. In the same vein, you're talking about, you know, because of COVID, everything changed. So how are you recruiting participants now? (laughs) (laughs) So actually the recruitment process still pretty much using strategies that I would normally use social media, my professional network. And, you know, with social media, things get out really quickly. And so I was still relying on the same means that I normally would even pre-COVID to do my recruitment and marketing. And also fortunate to be in a program who also assists with that marketing aspect. So it'll be put on like BCU School of Social Work um, site. And that, of course, has a wide range as well. Okay. So that hasn't really been as much of a challenge as... No. Okay. No. That's great. No. Okay. Yeah. Of course, because there is a virtual option, people are more, you know, like, oh, okay, I can do this virtually. This is something I think I can participate in. And some of the feedback that I got from people who have expressed interest was just that, just the nature of the project itself just really resonated with them and they wanted to learn more about it. So why did you decide to create a website for the project's main touch points? And I'm curious, is this becoming a more common practice for researchers? I had no idea. (laughs) It just made sense. Uh It made sense. So, you know, of course, it's a creative project with COVID had to be creative about so many different things. And a website really seemed to make sense because, one, we're not engaging in the same kinds of way like we normally would. And I wanted the website to sort of answer questions that people might have that would be the difference between contacting me or not contacting me, right? So you see on the website, you see who the research team is, you get a little bit of information about that. So that's a way to connect and engage with folks that you can actually see them and of course see what the purpose of the research project is. And again, like who the research team is. I think that just helps to draw people in. It makes people more curious Mm -hmm. to actually reach out and subsequently want to actually participate. As to whether or not that's becoming more common in research, just generally, I'm not really sure. But even the folks that I've shared this with, they were like, whoa, you know, you might be on to something new here. And because I admittedly thought I was going to get some pushback from IRB 
but everything was straightforward and IRB was okay with it. So I was really pleased, happy about that. That's interesting. So you had to explain what you were going to have on the website, I'm guessing, yes. to IRB yeah. to make sure. Correct. Yep. Hmm, okay. Correct. Very, very yeah. interesting. So how do you plan on analyzing your data and maybe have you already started doing that as you go through or are you waiting yeah. till later? Oh, no. Qualitative research, as soon as you get the data, you start looking at it. Your initial impressions are your entry point into the analysis process. If not, even when you are gathering the data, you're starting to really think about what's being shared, what's emerging. And so the unit of analysis, obviously, for this project is Black mothers. But I have two different types of data sets, right? So I have the interview, the more vocalized part of the data, but then you also have the collage as its own standalone data as well. And so I plan to, again, use poetic transcription techniques to analyze the oral data, right? And so that's where I just kind of go through, start to think about what themes are emerging, but also what is unique to this one mother's story. I know what is common in qualitative research is to look for the themes, you know, what's being shared across. But sometimes in doing so, we miss the power and the uniqueness of that one story. And so poetic transcription really allows me to really dig into that one mother's story and to be able to capture like a found poem that in some way captures the essence of what was shared. So that's how the oral data will be analyzed. The collage data is something different. It's something that I've never actually done. I've read a lot about it. And so what it will entail is, of course, sort of, again, looking at the one collage, taking notice of what's showing up, whether it's the use of color, words, images, all those things on one collage. And then also looking across collages, did this grouping of mothers seem to use a lot of red? Are, are the same type of images showing up? Are the same type of words showing up? Are the same type of objects showing up? Right. And even though it might be the same type of object, because I am providing them some very basic art kit, so they might be using the same objects, but they're using them. They mean something very different. And so then we're paying attention to what that meaning is. What is the meaning that they're ascribing to those things? Are there some common features? And then, of course, what stands out? What's unique to one mother's collage? So it'll be a really interesting analysis process. I'm really excited about it. Um, even what I have analyzed so far, I'm really excited about and what this one grouping, what is emerging and what it might mean or how it might look as I get more participants to join. That's great. That's mm -hmm. It is. It is really exciting because what is so important for me as an academic quotation, I know you can't capture like air quotes, <laughs> but what's really important to me is that the community can consume and see and hear and feel what is being shared tangibly and in a way that makes sense to them, right? Because who's going into journals, you know, who's doing that? Like, so what was a real important question for me is who is my audience? And quite frankly, Stacey, my audience is other black mothers, right? That's who my witnesses are. Mm -hmm. Right. And so as part of that, another desire that I have, I don't know where we will be with COVID because another aspect of the project was to have an art show mm -hmm. where all the collages and they're on display. And of course, inviting mothers to stand beside their collage and be able to share. So I don't know what COVID will do to that. Maybe I'm sure there's some virtual way to make that happen. And I do plan to make that happen. But I want to give this back 
mm-hmm. to community, as appreciation, as an honoring of what was shared with me on this collage in their stories and give it back to them. So that's really, really important to me to do. Yeah. And I think that's why I like learning about more arts-based data that you're using, because I have somebody else, another researcher I talked to, and they did photo voice, so Mm -hmm. pictures, but they had the same thing. They had an art show and Mm -hmm. it brings it to the community, right? Versus, you know, and academic papers are great. So that's an (laughs) specific audience, right? Right. Unless you have access to a database to get to those, a lot of times you can't read them. So they're sort of behind a barrier versus what you're going to do. And even if it is virtual, what that's sort of exciting in a way, because you could put that on YouTube, like you could even share it to a wider oh, audience. Yes. right? Yes. And, I mean, it, it's yes. nice to have it in person, but you might even get to a wider audience. Yes. Great point, Stacey. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let us know how we can help you if any, because I, I <laughs> kind of sharing. So do you have any initial findings you'd like to share? And, you know, I've you know, they might change, but anything that's standing out to you right now? Not quite. One of the things that is something that I'm thinking about is that how a lot of, well, the moms that I've come into space with and heard their stories, saw their collages, how the first thing that comes out their mouth typically is that I'm not creative. I'm not an artist, right? And I would probably say that. <laughs> right. I was doing it. Yeah. The thing about what makes that so striking to me, and even something I had to learn for myself as a mother, and as a Black mother especially, was that mothers are inherently creative. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> you know, whether how we're using our resources or lack of resources, how we navigate from sun up to sundown. That is some serious creativity and artistry and wizardry, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I find that really, really interesting. Even as much as I say, you know, I try to encourage them, like, it doesn't matter what shows up on the page. Mm -hmm. For me, if you have a question mark that shows up on the page, that means something to you. So that means something to me. And it means something to this project. And it's something that should be shared. And so there's still like that having to ease them into this creative space, which I, again, I didn't give enough attention to that when I first sort of conceived this project is how much I'd have to sort of help them remember how creative they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you yeah. almost have to give them not hints, but assurances. Like yeah, assurances. Yes, like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I could see that because I know people that do collage as an outlet, right? Yeah. So if you don't do something like that all the time, right? Probably, probably are sometimes like, where do I start? Yeah. But you know what's so funny, Stacey? Again, and this is what to me makes collage the perfect sort of medium to do this is that we do collage all the time too. <laughs> We're throwing things from the refrigerator into a pan <laughs> that maybe make no sense to nobody else, <laughs> but it's going to get eaten, right? So we're always like, a life is a collage, you know? And of course, when we think about it as an art form, I think people start to be reluctant about it. So it's just reassuring folks Mm -hmm. that you got it. You do this every day, all day. Mm -hmm. You know, it might not look like this per se, Mm -hmm. but you do it all day, every day. And so, you know, the same sort of like ingenuity, resourcefulness, and things that you bring to your everyday practice. It shows up the same way on this collage. So have you had anyone, because I could see doing this, like, I give you the collage, but then I'm like, oh, no, 
I want to add to my collage. Do you have people coming back to you after they've handed it in or? Well, there was only one person actually, which to me is the nature of the thing where you feel like it's unfinished Yeah, and that's fine. You know what I mean? That's okay. Because in many ways, you know, we're talking about lived experiences here. You know, there's so much to try to capture, so much to try to think about. And once you put that spark in someone, it remains. And so you're sort of thinking about it Mm -hmm. for however long. And so even if it doesn't show up on the collage, even if it's not finished, that's okay. I don't think things in this way are ever quite finished. Mm -hmm. It's living. And so it's never quite finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting if some of your participants do their own collage after too. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it would be. Yep. And so this leads to my last question, which is what's one piece of advice would you give a researcher working with collage as a data source? So I'd probably say, I guess it's probably no different than just conducting qualitative research, especially be patient, be patient with yourself don't shy away from interrogating what you think you know and how things show up on the collage space. Because even for me, even though moms have free reign to put whatever shows up on the collage space, there's still something in your head that's like, oh, you know, like, what's that? Or, you know, so I think it's important for researchers to really truly embody allowing what emerges emerge. Mm-hmm. To really, truly allow that. Sometimes, you know, our thinking obviously is informed by this academic spaces. Things are supposed to look this way. But really try to let go of that and just allow what is showing up, what is being shared to show up and to be shared. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it. Sort of allowing like this sort of intuitive stuff that is coming up to be expressed in a way that's authentically theirs. And I suppose another piece of it is really stepping away as a researcher, really stepping away and not feeling like you need to micromanage or again, (laughs) have a particular kind of order to things, Mm -hmm. but just step away, let go and allow what wants to show up to show up. That sort of sounds like motherhood. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. Right? Yeah. Especially especially as kids get older too, sometimes. (laughs) Yes. Especially when they get older. (laughs) Especially. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I think our listeners found the research project very interesting and we'll be looking forward to our follow-up podcast episodes as you go through your research. Awesome. It was very enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us for Between the Data. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more about InVivo podcasts and community events, please visit go.invivobyqsr.com slash community or email me, Stacy Penna, at s.penna, P-E-N-N-A, at qsrinternational.com.